We're turning tonight in our Bibles to John chapter 11. And I want to read from the verse 18. John chapter 11, verse 18. The words will come up on the screen for those who are online. But I would encourage you, as we've said before, to get your own copy of the Bible, find the place appointed for the reading, and find the reading and follow with us. Let's hear the word of God. John 11, verse 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall arise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved them. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou heardest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. 
And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and told them what things Jesus had done. We'll end the reading there at verse 46, and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. It reads as follows, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. I want us to think tonight of the theme, Lessons from the Raising of Lazarus from the Dead. Now the Bible teaches us that there was a man by the name of Lazarus who was from a small town a short distance from Jerusalem. And this town was called Bethany. Bethany, by the way, young people, literally means in the Hebrew, a house of affliction. It was approximately located about two miles from Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in verse 18 that it was 15 furlongs. Eight furlongs is a mile, so a little under two miles. It lays southeastern direction on the slopes of Mount of Olives, somewhat off the road to Jericho. And today, amazingly, this little town is still in existence. It is now called Al-Lazaria, the place of Lazarus. That, that's the literal translation. Isn't that remarkable? This place is forever associated with one man whom the Lord Jesus raised from the dead. Now, Bethany, of course, was a place where the Lord Jesus often came to for rest, refreshment, a place where he resorted with his friends. And we know of one such family who lived there. It was this man called Lazarus and uh, his two sisters, Martha and Mary, two different characters. But all three of them were true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and devout followers of him. We read there in chapter 12, verse 1, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. Did you know that the name Lazarus means a man helped? You see, his name is a form of the Hebrew name, Eliezer, and it's got the same meaning, a man being helped, a man receiving divine help. See, if the Lord Jesus had not intervened in the life of Lazarus and helped him in a marvelous way, he would never have been helped. John 11 and 1 tells us that one day or a certain night, Lazarus fell sick. Now, this was a terrible sickness. This was a grave illness. This man, Lazarus, was near death's door. The Lord Jesus was informed. 
Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. These words were surely intended to draw attention to Lazarus' need. They were used as evidence of strong emotive words. They were really sending out a message, come quickly, Lord. Come as soon as possible. Now, when the Lord Jesus heard it, he said to his followers, look with me at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he saith, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then strangely, deliberately, providentially, he abode in that very same place for two more days. And then he eventually said unto his disciples, let us go into Judea again. En route, he told his disciples, who of course were questioning his wisdom of going back near Jerusalem once again on pain of threat of death, he told them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go to wake him out of his sleep. He of course explained, if you look with me at verse uh, 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. By the time the Lord Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead four days. Once Martha heard that the Lord Jesus was en route, she went out to meet him. Look at verse 21. Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And what did he add? Or she add, but I know that even now whatsoever thou will ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha replied, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then you've got these important words. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? When Martha left, she informed her sister Mary, who was in the house, that the master has come and calleth for thee. She also was in a state of grief and shock and heartache. And when Mary came to the place where the Savior was, she said the same words to the Savior, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. Verse 32. Jesus, of course, saw her tears. He felt her grief. He too sighed and groaned in his spirit. And he asked this question, where have you laid him? They replied, come and see. Think of the Lord Jesus before that cave where the stone was covering its mouth. The Jews, of course, were weeping along with Mary. And then you have what we call the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And after a period of weeping, he said, take you away the stone. Martha, Martha sort of protested and, and said, but, but he's been dead four days, Lord. Lord, Lord he, he, he stinks. Listen to the words of Christ in verse 40. Think of these words. Listen to what he said. Said not I, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. The Lord Jesus stood before that open tomb, and this is what he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Here's the response, verse 44. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him. And let him go. In a short time, then Lazarus given the privilege of sitting at the table in the house at Bethany 
beside the Lord Jesus, bearing testimony to all that came and visited him of the power of Christ's resurrection victory. Now, as I thought of this story, I asked myself, what lessons can we learn from this story? And I come up with four. Let me just share them with you. First of all, let's learn the lesson. There's a sickness unto death. If you look at our text, it says, and he that was dead, verse 44. I want you to think of two sisters tonight sending an urgent message to the Lord Jesus. Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The word behold means to see and understand. It's like hanging a big sign out. It's like saying, Lord, pay attention to this. They're, they're, they're driving home the point. You see, Lazarus was not just sick with a little flu or a bit of a cough. He was gravely ill. He was at the door and point of death. See, the Lord Jesus said, if you read the story very carefully, verse 14, he tells us there, Lazarus is dead. Martha said, if look at verse 21, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And of course, then, if you look very carefully once again, Mary repeated the same thing in verse 32. Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. The mourners said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? And of course, John records it in verse 44, and he that was dead came forth. And then if you look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it mentions there um, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Seven times. You see, here's evidence that, that Lazarus, after this sickness, being gravely ill for a time, he truly died. It's a reference to, to physical death. Now, you see, people die in different ways. Could die by an accident, in a car, an aeroplane, a boat, or a motorbike. You could even die in an accident by walking along the road and being killed. Not expecting to die. Think of those who have been murdered, life taken from them suddenly, either by a bullet or by a bomb. And there have been many unsolved murders in Northern Ireland. To this very day, sadly, many of them at the hands of the Irish Republican Army. And I believe tonight that the blood of the innocent still cries to God for justice in relation to those murders. Some people die because of illness. Serious disease comes upon them. Others die through old age that the body just wears out and falls into a deep sleep. And we're thinking, of course, tonight again of Prince Philip, 99, almost in three quarters, 100 in June, and, and he's left this scene of time on Friday the 9th of April. Lazarus' sickness was unto death. It was a short illness, but it was a serious illness. And let me add this. Somebody who's ill, it's not always a sign of God's justice, God's displeasure. Now, it can be. And there are certain occasions revealed in the scriptures where it is. But not on this occasion. How do we know it's not? Because look at verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. 
You see, people could imagine somebody who takes sick and dies very suddenly, you could imagine that um, God is punishing that family, that individual. God is chastising that certain individual. God is displeased. And um, he's angry because there must be some sort of sin, even secret sin in the life. But any sort of thinking or thought is silenced here by these words. And we could even add in the words, He whom thou lovest is sick. The Lord Jesus loved Lazarus as well as Martha and Mary. And even the enemies of God said, Behold how he loved him. So let's not be quick to pass judgment. Let's not be like Job's three miserable comforters. Remember, they concluded all that had befallen Job. They concluded this, secret sin. That's why all this has happened. That's why all these calamities have come into Job's life. He's a secret sinner. He's a hypocrite. And Job, you need to confess it. Job, you need to repent and get right with God. And they really pressed it home. So they were concluding all that had befallen Job was, was for secret sin. But it wasn't. It was actually for the glory and the honor of God. It was for the strengthening of Job in the midst of his trial in the knowledge of God. Could I add something else tonight? Your life and mine is not guaranteed. The old will die. The young may die. Sometimes people in a past time like to go through the graveyard and they like to take note of certain headstones of, of elderly people who've died, but also young people and even children who have died. See, right now, death is at work in you who are listening to me. Do you know that death is at work in all of us from the moment that you and I were born? And it doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our health and strength now. It doesn't matter our station in life. All of us are only but a short step from the grave. You and I are only one heartbeat away from God's eternity. You see, that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 90, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 12, Psalm 90, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Death is staring all of us in the face. And news of every death, whether it's in our own family circles, whether it's in our church fellowship, whether it's in our country, it stares us in the face. Death is threatening us at every second. It's the last enemy to be destroyed. And it doesn't matter if you're a true believer or unconverted. Death is stalking every step. Oh, that we could apply our hearts to wisdom. Oh, that men were wise, Moses said, and would consider their latter end. Remember what Paul says, and as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Oh, that we could see that day is appointed. God has set the bounds of the habitation. And you could be nine or you could be ninety. Or you could be in between. God has appointed the day. And death is the end of all hope for us as far as life is concerned. It's the end of all dreams. It's the end of all opportunities. I don't want to say to now, press at home, if you die in your sins. Jesus said, where I am, three times, John 8, 22, 24, three times he said, where I am, you cannot be. In other words, you'll not be in heaven. 
And if you die in your sins in a state of unbelief with an unrepentant heart, the Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. In Revelation 21, he mentions the fearful and the unbeliever. And how many fearful people they are who know they need to be saved and know they need to get right with God who know that they're sinners, know they have a soul and yet don't want to get saved because they have a secret love for their sin and they remain in a state of unbelief. Could you imagine closing your eyes in death, taking a, a last gasp and going out into eternity and your soul is in this place of eternal punishment? A place of outer darkness and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. See, physical death is real. Eternal death is real. I want to tell you, spiritual death is real. We're already born spiritually dead to God. And man's greatest need is a spiritual resurrection. We need new birth. We need new life. We need the infusion and the implantation of life. Think of a corpse. If I got a corpse, I shine a light in its face. Apply heat treatment. Touch the body. Try to move the body with my hands. Won't move. What would that corpse need? You'd say, he's dead, she's dead. It needs life. And you see, David said, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's why the Bible says, and you have they quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. There's a, a sickness unto death. Notice also here, there's a sadness unto despair. If you think of verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now the word weeping here, it's not just they were shedding a little tear. It means they were bawling their eyes out. As we would say in bush mills, if I could use that terminology for those who are listening to use a, a, an Ulster Scots word, they were greeting. They were bawling their eyes out. And what do we read in verse 35? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I trust you know where the longest verse is. It's in Esther chapter 8, verse 9. But here's the shortest verse, boys and girls. Two words. Jesus wept. And that word wept means he cried profusely. He cried strongly. He was on a spurt of deep grief and great mourning. The, the, these um, wordless sounds, these groans troubled his spirit. Isn't that so appropriate? You think of families here who have experienced the death of precious loved ones, who have been through the experience of bereavement or going through it. You think of this for a way of comfort. Jesus wept. Does not reveal his true humanity. Doesn't it mean that he's identifying with people and families in a state of grief? Isn't he the sympathizing one? But the one who's empathetic, who, who comes alongside to offer support and help as only he can. I believe, of course, Jesus Christ is the greatest example of all in regards to government comfort. He knows how you feel. He knows the world of sorrow that you've been plunged into. He knows how to comfort. I was thinking of that hymn. We'll sing it next Sunday morning when we're dealing with Paul's prayer. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. You see, why do you emphasize that? 
because it's not wrong to grieve. It's not wrong to shed tears. It's not wrong to mourn and to be sad. Remember, there's two kinds of sorrows. There's a godly sorrow and there's an ungodly sorrow. The ungodly have no hope. They have no prospect of salvation in relation to eternity. But those who are found in Christ, who are living for Christ through Christ, have the wonderful assurance that they go to be with Christ, which is far better. That's why Paul says, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. It's not wrong to sorrow, but the hope of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection victory helps us. Here's a third thing here. Not only do we have a sickness unto death, and not only do we have a sadness unto despair, but we've got a suddenness unto departure. You see, when I read this, what really struck me was that Lazarus must have died suddenly. They send news to the Lord Jesus, he whom thou lovest is sick. The Lord Jesus waits two days before he sets out to get to Bethany. He arrives there two days later, which is into the fourth day, and Lazarus has been buried. He's four days in the tomb. That means he must have died within a few hours of them sending out the message. So it was a short illness, not long, a few hours. Whatever it was, the disease that took him took its course and did it quickly and rapidly. Is that not another warning to us all? Lazarus took ill and died almost immediately. You've heard the words, young people, here today and gone tomorrow. You know what's true? Today you can be in the bloom of health and strength. But tomorrow you could be being prepared for the tomb. And if you lived in the land of Palestine or the land of Israel, as it's now rightly called, within 24 hours of dying you'd be in the grave. Health and strength is gone. And there's many examples in the Bible. You think of the Shunammite son. And we have children here. And this was a little boy that was out in the field along with daddy. And he's watching the reapers bringing in the crop. And he takes a sore head. What does the daddy do? He says to one of the servants, look, you carry him to his mother. In other words, he's not going to leave the harvest. He's not thinking that this boy's in danger. The man carries him to his mother. The mother puts him on his knee. She nurses him. And the Bible tells us that he died at noonday. He had his breakfast. He maybe had a bite to eat in the field about 10 o'clock. But at noon, he was gone. Think of Jairus' daughter. She died in bed. Think of the widow of Nain's son. He's put into the coffin and been carried out to the graveyard. Think of Herod the Great in Acts 12. They thought it was the voice of God. He, he deified himself. And he was immediately smitten and eaten of worms. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. Lied to God. Lied to the Holy Ghost. And they were smitten down dead. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 1, he that being often reproved and hardens his heart shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Again, the book tells us in 27, verse 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day will bring forth. Have you been reproved of your sin, if you're listening to me? Reproved of your carelessness? Reproved of your refusal to repent because you love sin? I want to tell you. As you live out your life in health and strength, you do not know what a day will bring forth. And we urge you tonight in the Lord's name to recognize your sin. To realize what a, a, a guilty sinner, hell-deserving that you are. And repent of that sin. 
Because you need to be regenerated. You need to be redeemed by the blood. You must be reconciled to God. And you can only do that through the reception of Christ as is offered to you in the gospel. Not only is there a sickness unto death and a sadness unto despair, but there's a suddenness unto departure here. Let me tell you lastly, there's a sovereignty unto deliverance. You see, the Lord Jesus exercised his sovereignty in a wonderful way. There's a sovereign proof here. Did this family not receive an awful blow? The death of a precious loved one? Does this death not hit home? It does. And death can come to Christian homes and hit very hard. Some of you have experienced that. Here's a hard lesson. A mother kisses a boy in the cheek, tells him to be careful. He tells her he'll be home at a certain time. And then the police arrive at the door in the evening, tell her the sad, fatal news that her boy is dead. See, many of us tonight, regardless of how a person dies, don't have answers. And when you don't have answers, you find it hard to believe in the goodness of God. You feel this is a dark day. Is it possible? And here's proof. You see, there's no evidence that this was the hand of God's judgment on this home in Bethany. This sickness was not an evidence of God's judgment. In fact, it was the opposite. It was evidence of God's glory. God was at work behind the scenes. That's why God allowed this. It was all for his glory. It was for the honor and praise of his name. Jesus could come and say, What I do now you know not, but you shall know hereafter. And of course, all that happens ultimately in life and in death has to be for the glory of God. That's why Paul said, in all that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God, that God may be glorified, that Christ is magnified. See, there's a sovereign proof here. I'll tell you something else very quickly. There's a sovereign power here. If you look at our text again, it says, and when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Here's the instrument that the Lord Jesus used. It was the power of his word. What did he call himself? Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he is proving that, standing at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus has been in there for four days. Martha said he stinketh, which has to do with the, the ozone gas, uh, the same smell that comes out. And Lazarus is lying under the power of death. His body's seen corruption. All the organs that he has have stopped. And now, here's this spoken word. This powerful word. And by the instrument of this powerful word, he's brought back to life. Lazarus, come forth. It's not powerful. He came back to life. He who was dead through the power of the spoken word. Here's a powerful, convincing, wonderful miracle. The power of the word. Who could bring a dead man back to life and bring him out of the tomb wearing his grave clothes? This is a powerful call to a dead man. So that his heart began to beat. His brain began to function. His nervous system began to feel and twitch. And he who came out of that tomb was wrapped in the clouds or the clothes of death. 
See, the Lord Jesus has power to create life out of nothing. There's a wonderful power here. I'll tell you something else. There's a wonderful providence here. See, the Lord Jesus didn't leave it too late. He didn't come too early. The seeming delay was not a denial. There was a bigger picture. There's a reason for this. And part of the manifestation of the glory of God, I believe, was this, was a display of loving comfort and concern for Martha and for Mary. And even for Lazarus. If you think of the words that were said to him, he whom thou lovest is sick. It says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. And then remember the people, the Jews that were with him said, Behold how he loved them. See, you've got to feel the force of that word. They're in a dark valley. And the question is asked, does Jesus care? Does Jesus understand? Does Jesus know? And the answer is yes. And you see, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your situation is today, remember... The Lord alone always acts in a loving way towards his people. And you're in the valley of despair. Loved ones are in the throes of death. And you're in a, a, a big state of grief. And he knows. And he perfectly understands. And he, he knows it all. You see, there's evidence of the Lord's love here. There's the evidence of his good pleasure here. There's evidence of his goodness that he comes to comfort out of concern for this family at this time. And it's wonderful to know that providentially that death cannot abide or remain in the presence of the Lord Jesus. For Jesus always is, there's life. Martha said, Lord Jesus said to her, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, but I'm the resurrection and the life. You see, death can't abide in his presence. Let me finish tonight. There's a sovereign purpose here. You see, this is a very convincing miracle, young people. This is all about manifestation of Christ's true deity and Christ's true ministry. You see, you can't doubt or deny hard facts. Here's a hard fact. Lazarus was truly dead. Seven times it says that in the chapter. uses the word died or dead. Lazarus was resurrected to physical new life. Jesus stood at that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And here's the evidence. Verse 44. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, listen, and let him go. And Lazarus, the last we read of him, this man who received divine help, he was greatly privileged to do what? To sit at the table. To have a place with Christ at the table. And be a witness for him. You see, here's the purpose. Hard to deny certain facts. And do you know tonight that because Jesus Christ lives... Because he's the resurrection and the life. All who are in Christ and believe in him to the saving of the soul. His resurrection victory guarantees our resurrection victory. And even though we fall into a peaceful, comforting sleep. And that's what death is for the believer. It's like a sleep. One day we will awake. And we will awake 
in the likeness of Christ, our body will be changed with a body like unto his. Like unto his glorious body. We'll have a sinless body, a glorified body, and we'll never die again. And, and our body and soul will be reunited. It's not about annihilation. It's not about soul sleep. It's not about extinction or extermination. Here's proof. Lazarus was physically raised to new life. And we who are in Christ are also going to be raised to new life. Let me close with this reference. John 5 and verse 24. This is what the word of God says. Verily, verily, that means truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life. It shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he's the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And you know, there's proof that Lazarus was raised from the dead because many friends believed in him. That, that's what verse 45 tells us. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. That was the purpose. To reveal Christ's true deity, to magnify his ministry, that he was the resurrection and the life so that others would believe in him. You can't deny that reality. You can't doubt the hard facts that are here. Who can call a dead man out of the tomb? That was the purpose. It's a convincing miracle to bring about a comforting truth to God's people that all who die in Christ will be raised again in the newness of life. Lazarus was raised again physically, but there will come a time when he died physically again. And he too now is awaiting the bodily resurrection like all who die in Christ in our day and generation. But I want you to see, I want you to see the proof here. I want you to feel the force of this power. See how God works providentially, even in a dark valley in a difficult situation, to reveal his purpose so that his name is honored and glorified. I leave this lesson with you. This fourfold lesson from the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And I pray the Lord will bless it to your understanding.